Hey, good morning, church. My name is Seth, and I'm the youth pastor over at State College Alliance Church, and I'm so blessed to be with you guys today. You know what? I haven't spent a lot of time with college students, thank you, since my time in college, but I am so blessed to be amongst you, so blessed to worship with you today. Uh, I, I would love to show you just a quick picture of my family. This is my, my tribe. This is my beautiful wife, Alyssa. I have three children. That's crazy to say. Uh, Eloise is four. She's waving her hand down there, probably saying, don't take my picture. And then that's Isabel that I'm holding and Charlie Ray, uh, who my wife is holding. That's my clan. Aren't they pretty? That's a good looking crew, right? I made them. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting chapter I find myself in. Um, I was reflecting on, on you guys and where many of you are at going through your college years. And I was thinking about the chapter that I'm in and trying to compare it to you guys. And man, I can only say it's by the grace of God that I am actually here today to speak to you. It's by the grace of God that I've, I've been blessed with such a, a beautiful wife and, and beautiful children. God has moved in my life. Um, and I'm going to share a little bit about that with you later. But the chapter that you're in right now is an interesting one. Discovering who you are, discovering what you're about to do next, asking a lot of questions probably regularly, am I doing the right thing? Those are all really good questions. But this morning, kind of like the main point of everything I want to challenge and encourage you with today is to have big faith in the journey, no matter what chapter you're in right now. Right now you're in the chapter of college, many of you. I'm in the chapter of post-college, family time. It's crazy crazy. I'm tired. I'm going to be honest. Anybody else tired this morning? Yeah. Yeah. I've got three kids tired. Okay. So I know you're studying and staying up late and video gaming, playing Fortnite. So who knows by long, but it's all right. Okay. If you have your Bible, would you please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11? We've been digging in here and I want to encourage you in big faith in the journey today, focused on the life of Moses. I love Moses' life. I love his story. I, I just feel like he's so relatable. All these guys that we've been looking at uh, in the Old Testament, in this chapter, I know the Hebrews is, is in the New Testament, but we're reflecting on, on big dudes of the Old Testament, right? Guys who have paved the way for us to embrace big faith. Guys who have experienced God in a powerful way. That's not... That's not set apart for these guys alone. These are stories in, in reflection of God would speak to people with promises. He would fulfill promises. Their lives would be radically impacted by trusting him and seeing things fulfilled. And we're wearing those same shoes today. You are wearing those same shoes right now. I believe that God is speaking to every one of you in a unique and individual way. And he just wants you to open your ears, open your heart, and trust him along this journey. I know that's hard to do, but don't think that these stories are just stories for these guys. These stories are for you as you grow and you are challenging your faith on this big faith journey. So um, Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to start at verse 23 and read through verse 29. That's where we're going to focus today. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. That's nice. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than, enjoy, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. All right, so the first section, if you have your notes with you, um, you can grab a pen or a pencil. We're going to follow along here, track a little bit. The first section of scripture here in Hebrews 11, verse 23, is talking about generational faith. So you can write that down in your notes, generational faith. The first two points are going to be kind of huge recaps of things that we've seen in this Hebrews chapters 11 thus far. And in generational faith, we hear about Moses um, and his parents were faithful. So we, we look at this and we see what, what is the first thing that's even said about Moses in this story? Is that he's coming from a, a, a people, he's coming from parents who trusted and feared God. He came from parents who were big faith people. Now that's a blessing, but I know that not all of you come from that same boat. Not all of you have parents who fear God and revere God and love God and have big faith. Some of you do, and that's awesome. You have such a blessing in your pocket. Now, my, my story, my personal story is a little interesting with this because my mother loves Jesus. My mom is not ashamed to talk about God. Uh, and, you know, I'm just going to be blunt with you. My father, my, my parents are divorced and they have been since I was between the ages of like 8 and 10. I don't remember exactly when it happened. But my father has never really clearly professed to me his love for Jesus Christ. I don't really know um, where he stands. It's awkward. It's really hard to talk to your father about these things, okay? I don't want to dwell on that too long, but just to say, I have like a mixed, mixed bag of nuts there when it comes to big faith in my family. But um, Moses has parents who, when they saw that the child was beautiful, they were not afraid of the king's edict, and they were faithful to save Moses. What was the king's edict? In Exodus chapter 1, the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh said this. He, he made a law. He made a law out of fear. See, there were Egyptians dwelling in the land. There were Israelites dwelling in the land. And the people of Israel, they started out as about a group of 70 people, Exodus tells us. The book of Exodus tells us. There were 70 people from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And from those descendants, there were about 70 people there. But they grew, and they grew, and they grew till they were thousands of people. And then Pharaoh was like, oh man, these people are getting bigger. They're getting stronger. They're going to overthrow us, so we better do something to them to stop them from thinking about trying to throw over our land and take over us. So he makes a law, let's, let's enslave them. Let's enslave the people. So he enslaves the people of Israel, and then he makes a law as he sees they continue to grow and become stronger. This is what we got to do. We got to put a stop to this right now. We're going to kill all the boys that are born from now on. All the boys of the people of Israel who are born, we're going to kill them. Okay? So first of all, this is crazy. This is a crazy law. This is messed up that they're going to kill every son that is born from now on. This is Pharaoh's rule. But Pharaoh talks to the midwives, the people who are, are helping the, the Israelite woman give birth. And he says, from now on, every boy that is born, I want you to kill them. But the midwives feared God. The midwives were Israelites. These were people of God who loved God and feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. 
What do you think would have happened breaking the law of Pharaoh? They would have been punished. They themselves were probably going to be killed. But they obeyed God more than they feared Pharaoh. So here's what happens. We've got the midwives who do not kill the babies who are born. First off, that's a no-no according to the Pharaoh. Second of all, we have Moses' parents who do not kill Moses when he is born. They love their child. They fear God. And so out of obedience to God, they take a risk and they save their child. They hide him and then they let him go in a basket. This is crazy. Into a river. Their big faith moment is this. Uh, We have a child who we don't want to kill, so let's put it in the river in a basket, in the water, okay, and just let it go. I have no idea what they were thinking or why they did that, but out of big faith, they took a risk to save their baby's life. And where does he end up? In the arms of the daughter of Pharaoh. Pretty miraculous story here. But we see generational faith played out from Moses' parents, and not only them, but also the leaders of God's people. The midwives obeyed God, They did not kill the babies. Moses' parents obeyed God. They did not kill Moses. And from this, we see some things. We see people, parents, leaders pursuing obedience and glorifying the true king of their lives, God. Saving and training the next generation to love and serve God. This is really cool. In my life, I have some people who were like the midwives, some people who were like Moses' parents, my own mother, as I testified before, but also some surrogate parents. You guys are at college, and in, in my years of college, uh, I had this family who was, who was really close to me. Uh, my RA at the time, we became best friends, and I would go to his family's church. There were like 20 families at this church. It was a pretty tiny church, in my opinion. I've been a part of bigger churches, so I think that that was tiny. But this was a really intimate setting of a church. And every Sunday, we would go with his family to church, and then we would go to their house for lunch. And it was in these times that I grew to love my friend's parents a lot. And they mentored me. They spoke truth into my life. And they were people who were, who were faithful. These were people who had big faith, and they spoke this big faith into me. Oh, it's just like beautiful. Like, I want to just tell you, we sat around the table, we ate food. First of all, food is beautiful, so that was great. But then, I know you're thinking about lunch already. I'm going to keep going quickly. But um, we would sing hymns, we would pray, and we would just do some devotions together. We did this every Sunday. And that was out of the norm for me because I just didn't have that. But those were people, uh, big faith of next generation investors who spoke truth into my life. Some other big uh, pillars of generational faith in my life were my grandparents, my Nana and my Pop-Pop, Charles and and, uh, Francis. I think I have a picture of them. So this is my Nana and Pop, and they passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, I don't know. You guys have grandparents who are big faith pillars in your life, people who have set examples for you, right? Um, My Nana and Pop-Pop, every time I was around them, they would always recite scripture to me that they had spent time memorizing over the many years of their lives. They would always pray with me And to me, my grandparents and their generational faith in my life, they were just an essence of Christ to me. And I appreciated that and I needed that so much. So a lot of what I do in my life, I feel like I, I hear my grandmother, I hear her voice in my mind and in my ear, right? If I'm about to make a decision or if I'm having like a tough day, I used to call my grandma and be like, Nana, I'm having a rough day. And she would encourage me, and I think about things that she would say to me. I think of how she would respond to the way that I, I parent my children, you know? So these people have set strong examples for me, much like Moses' parents and the midwives set an example for him. 
God gives us history to look at. He gives us these, these uh, generational faith pillars to nurture and launch our faith, our big faith, into the future. So in your notes, you can write this down. You have the gift of legacy. And you, too, are leaving behind a legacy. So you're going to write legacy twice there. I know you're like, oh, why do we got to write legacy twice? But it's true. You come from a legacy, and you are being launched into leaving a legacy yourself. And that doesn't start when you're an adult post-college. That starts right now where you're at. It's already begun. You have reputations from high school. Some of those will dissolve away. Some of them stick with you. But you are right now creating and developing your legacy And I want nothing more than that to be filled with Christ. I want nothing more than people to look back on your life and my life and see that person was a person of God. That person had the light of Christ. That person is a generational faith influencer in my journey. I know you got people like that in your lives. If you don't, you have sponsors here that love you and would love to mentor you. Connect with them if you're in need of that intentional relationship for generational faith building. It is such a gift. I'd hate for you to miss out on that if you don't have that, so take advantage. So here's a question. Who do you reflect on, and what is your legacy? You can take those questions home and continue to chew on them. Chew on those questions in your, in your life groups if you want to. But these are important questions for you to consider as you're growing in your big faith journey. So the second point is this. We're going to look at Moses' identity and his destiny identity and destiny. I know this is a little bit of a recap as well where we're coming here in Hebrews chapter 11. Um, But I want to recap a little bit from Exodus uh, in chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Actually, I'm going to read this here for you because this part is kind of nuts. Scripture is full of just crazy stories, and this is is one of them. This is one of those crazy stories where you're like, how how is this okay? How is this in the Bible? It's a story. All right. One day, this is uh, Exodus chapter 2, starting at verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Now, at this time, at this time, remember, Moses is raised in the house of Pharaoh as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He has power. He has control. This is, this is his life. He has riches. He gets whatever he wants when he wants it. And Moses steps out now on the scene, and he's looking upon the slaves. And this is, this is what happens when he's reflecting on his people. One day when Moses had grown up, He went out to his people and looked upon their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the one man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? As Moses was afraid, he thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Okay, hold up. So Moses' parents have some big faith. They let him go off in a basket. Moses then is raised in the house of the Pharaoh to be the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. Power, riches, control. Moses looks out and sees one of his brothers getting beaten by a slave driver who's an Egyptian, and then he goes and kills this Egyptian. What? This is a murderer now. Moses is now a killer. Straight G. He killed this guy. He messes up big time, and he flees because the Pharaoh now wants to kill him. 
God is about to redeem this situation, but killing somebody is not something to take lightly. And Moses just did that. Moses just took a life away. You know, God, God breathed life into man to create him. And Moses took the breath out of a thing that God made, whether the Egyptian was in the right or the wrong. Moses took that. He killed a guy. And yet we're about to see how God redeems his life and unfolds a big journey for all of God's people. I want to read on uh, from this point here, Exodus 2, starting in verse 16. Uh, am I right there? Nope. Sorry, I was in Hebrews. All right, so I do want to read from Exodus 2, verse 15. All right. It says, Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to the water, their fathers to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them, and he watered their flock. When they came home to their father Reuel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So what's the point here? What's the point of this particular story? When you stand up against bullies, you get a wife, all right? So if you're looking, you're looking out, hey, maybe set somebody up to bully somebody, then you can like stand up and be like, hey, I'm a hero. No, I'm just kidding. But Moses does stand up. He stands up against this bully, uh, and then he's welcomed into this family. He marries Zipporah. They have a son. Uh, Moses' life is beginning to be transformed here a little bit as he has run away from Egypt, and he's in the wilderness now with this new family. He's about to encounter God from here in a significant way. Um, can I share a story with you, a personal story? So uh, how many freshmen do we have in the house today? Show of hands. Okay, cool. Hey, freshmen, I'm going to share a story. Uh, this is about my freshman year, uh, and maybe some of you upperclassmen can relate. we got some adults in the room, too, uh, who are not college students. Maybe you guys can relate, too. So my freshman year, um, I moved four hours away from home. I went to Geneva College, uh, a small liberal arts college outside of Pittsburgh. Uh, anybody from the Pittsburgh area? Make some noise, Pittsburgh! I love Pittsburgh. It's my favorite city. Um, so I go, to, I go to Geneva, I'm experiencing liberty, I'm experiencing freedom from home, my mother is not watching over me, my professors only care for me for one hour, well they care for me more than that, but I'm with them for an hour, and then I get the whole rest of my time to play as much Guitar Hero as I want to, and just explore the world around me, right? So uh, I wasn't like somebody, you know, I, I, I didn't have... I didn't have any fame, I wasn't like a celebrity on campus or anything, but I, I yearned for those things, I wanted to be known, and so people that I thought were known were some of these athletes, nothing against athletes, I'm just telling you who I looked at and thought, man, those people are really liked and really popular, this is the popular story and not popular kid story, and one day uh, I was in a science class with a group of these guys, and there were some girls there, and I heard them talking, and the guys were like, hey, Seth, we're having a party this weekend. You want to come to this party with us? 
And I was, like, trying to play it cool because there were some girls there. I was like, I'm kind of busy because I got, like, 20 parties, but uh, we'll see. We'll see if I can make it. That wasn't true at all. I had no parties. It was by myself playing Guitar Hero. I could play Killer Queen backwards with my eyes closed, and I was so good at it. Anybody play Guitar Hero? My freshman year was the year Guitar Hero 1 came out, so it was, like, a big deal at the time. Okay, I'm just telling you. Uh, if I had uh, tests on Guitar Hero, I would have had a, a 4.0. Um, but I, unfortunately, I wasted a lot of time. So I went to this party freshman year, and man, I'll tell you what, it was just what you expect. I'm, I'm not even going to describe it to you because you know, right? You live in a culture where, we, where we're experiencing maybe messing up at parties or friends who are messing up at parties, and, and some people care, some people don't care. But I had my convictions about whether or not I should go to the party, and I knew that I shouldn't, but I wanted to because I wasn't in that scene, and I thought if I participate in that scene, maybe I get to know some people who think I'm cool, whatever, that's garbage. So I went, and I messed up. I messed up big. I messed up bad. And it was in that moment, like, I was in the process of, of just doing a lot of messing up in that party, and I just felt God grip my heart. But it wasn't like a... I'm so ashamed of you, Grip. It was a, oh, my son, what are you doing? I love you. You don't need this. Man, that grip from the Lord was stronger than any kind of anger condemnation could have brought to me. He was just holding me in his arms, even when I was right in there messing up, and he was just telling me, I love you. Why are you doing this? So I left feeling ashamed, as you would imagine, maybe as you have felt. But out of that, out of that poor choice, uh, I began, if you would call that maybe like a, a rock bottom moment for me, um, I decided that that is not something that I would continue to pursue. Um, and it was the, the winter break of my sophomore year, that next year, where God would lead me to a short-term missions trip uh, in, in Jamaica. And there, while I was there, God set a trajectory for my life that would change my big journey forever. It was there where I felt a call to missions and ministry. God made it so clear to me that I am his, that I have gifts, gifts that I am to use for his kingdom, that my life is made as a, as a blessing for other people, that my life is made as a blessing to him. And so my life begins to be transformed there. And now I'm here talking to you guys about these mess-ups and these things and Moses' mess-ups and his things. And I know that you guys have mess-ups and your things and God is cultivating and, and working on how you're going to grow and he's going to set a trajectory for you to shape your journey. Moses and these other guys that we're looking at in the Old Testament, I think that they had times when they didn't have big faith. And God loved them and still chose to use them in some amazing ways to shape the course of history for their own lives and for God's people. I just want you to know that he wants to do the same in you and through you. God's not looking or expecting any perfect person to rise up and be the next great leader because none of us are perfect. We are all broken. We all have sin in our lives. He is looking for willing hearts. He is looking for humble hearts. And from that, he shapes us and makes us bold for his glory. And he redeems us, amen? We're going to talk about some redemption here in just a minute. So Moses, he kills a guy. He runs away. He gets a wife. What the, the easiest way to get a wife standing up to a bully, if it was that easy, 
I got a beautiful wife, amen? Hebrews 12, 11 says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Our mistakes, they're there. They're going to come. You're going to mess up. Maybe you've already hit your rock bottom and you're moving forward. Maybe that's you today. I just want you to know God's grace is sufficient. God's love for you is never ending. You do not have to dwell in shame. You do not have to dwell in the chains of sin. God offers freedom from those chains. He offers redemption out of those sins, and he wants to change your life and shape your life if you let him. So let's, let's recap here. Moses is born from a generation of faithful followers of God. He makes mistakes, and now he's about to encounter God, okay? And his destiny is about to shift. So Moses is out. He's in the field. He's in the mountains, and he's got his sheep with him. Anybody work with sheep before? One shepherd. Okay. Did you, uh, did you shear the sheep? You did? That's cool. Did you make uh, wool pants? No? All right. Anybody have wool pants? Me neither. Wait, you have wool pants? Oh, you're just fixing the camera. Okay. <laughs> Moses is out with the sheep, and um, he loses a sheep, and he goes to chase after it. And there, uh, he encounters something amazing. This is a miracle. He encounters a burning bush, and in the burning bush is God. God is in the burning bush, and he says, Moses, Moses. And if you've, if you've grown up in the church by any means, you may have heard this story before, that God at this point is going to call Moses into leadership after he had just messed up, after he had just ran away, he's now starting a family, and God, through a bush, is going to call Moses to great leadership. Here's what happens. He says, Moses, I've heard my people groaning. I've heard my people who are enslaved by the Egyptians. I've heard their pain. I see their burdens. Now is the time when I'm going to free them, and I'm going to use you to do it. So what does he do with Moses? He wants to prove and show to Moses that God is mighty. And this is what he does. He says, Moses, hold out your stick, hold out your staff that you have, and he turns it into a snake. Whoa, I hate snakes, right? Like, I was, I was moving wood from a wood pile in my wife's mom's house. This is when we were just boyfriend-girlfriend. I was moving the wood from, from the wood pile into the house, and this huge black snake came out. And I'm pretty sure I squealed like a little girl, right? And I'm embarrassed at this point because I'm still I'm dating Alyssa, my wife now, and her mom's there, and she's probably judging me like it's just a snake, bro. But I didn't grow up with snakes, so, like, it's out of the ordinary for me. Moses now sees this snake. God turns his staff into a snake, and then he turns it back. And he's, he's, he's asking Moses, do you see my power? Do you see what I'm capable of? This isn't magic. And then he says, Moses, put your hand in your robe. So he puts his, hand in his ro puts his hand in his robe, and then he pulls it out, and it turns to leprosy. You know what leprosy is? When your flesh is falling apart, and it turned white as snow. His hand was white as snow, and it was leprosy. So it could have just like all rotted and fallen off. And if you, if you have leprosy or know anybody that ever has had leprosy, what happens is you touch it, and it could fall off, and you don't even feel it. You just look later, and you're like, oh, my hand fell off. Uh, because it's so, it's so broken and messed up in there that you, you don't even realize what's going on with your flesh. I'm not a doctor. I'm just saying that's what I read about. Um, and I've never had leprosy, so I'm not really speaking from experience. But Moses, I imagine, is freaking out at this point. So he puts his hand back in his robe and pulls it out, and it's healed. It's made completely okay. 
God is simply displaying his power to Moses as he's preparing to launch him on a journey. He's saying, Moses, I want you to see, I want you to know that I am God. I am God of Isaac and Abraham and Jacob. I am the God of your fathers and your midwives. I am the God who made you. I know you. I love you. Will you trust me and go? You know what Moses said? Moses was scared. He didn't say yes right away. In fact, he said, well, no, I'm not the best guy for the job. I'm not the best guy for the God. I, 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 can't, I can't stand up and go do this, God. I can't do this for you. I am nervous. I am anxious. Any, has anyone ever been anxious before, before you get up and lead people for anything? Yeah. I was anxious two minutes before I came up here. I am every time I have to get up to speak. I don't know why that is. I just get nervous. I get real sweaty, pits, you know. <laughs> Moses was nervous. He said, I can't do it, God. But listen to this. Um, I think this is the apex, maybe, of the whole message, and I want you to really hear this. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Hebrews verse uh, 11, verse 27, it said, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And it's because of this. In Hebrews chapter 3, Verses 7 through 12. The Lord said to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Move on to verse 11. God says to Moses, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Listen to what God says. But I will be with you. I will be with you. And it is from this promise that Moses rises up with courage and takes on the big faith journey. I will be with you. This isn't just a promise for Moses. This is God's promise to each and every one of you here today who after this morning, after you leave out of this place, when you go into classes, when you go into social settings and you begin to have doubts and you begin to have temptations, remember this, that God will be with you, okay? I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and just say, God will be with you. Go ahead, turn to your neighbor and tell them that. Turn to your other neighbor and say, God will be with you. Look, when you experience the phenomenal, supernatural power of God, you can't unexperience that stuff, right? You can't walk away and forget about the fact that you encountered the mighty God. It's just not like that. You can, you can tuck it away in your back pocket. You can try and shove it under the rug a little while so that you can experience living for yourself. We do that, right? We have a really cool mountaintop experience with God. And then we go on and we want to live for ourselves some more because we know that those fleeting pleasures of sin, mm, right? There's some good things out there. I mean, bad things, but like it feels good, but that's not God. God will be with you. So in your notes, you can jot down in the fill in the blank. This is the gift of knowing you are God's people. Moses has an encounter with the holy. And here's the closing part we're about to get into right now is the journey. This is where his journey begins to be redirected and changed. I want you to ask yourself, have you ever had an encounter with the holy? You don't have to say it out loud. Have you had an encounter 
with the holy God. Can I read a, a, another story to you? This is from my grandfather. My grandfather, Charles, uh, his name was Charles Ray Stroop, is the picture of him that I showed you earlier. That's why we named my son Charlie Ray, because uh, my grandfather was such a, an inspiration, such a generational faith pillar in my life. I want to bless my son and give him that namesake, and I pray that he would grow up to know God, know his word, and be filled with his spirit, just like my grandfather was. That's who I strive to be like. I mean, I strive to be like Jesus, but my grandfather set a tone for what the people in his family should be like. And I want my son to experience that too through me. But listen to what my grandfather said in, in 1947. This is a letter he wrote in July 19th, 1947. He says, greetings from your new, new brother. It is now 1030 and I'm an hour and a half old in the Lord Jesus. Yes, Lucy, Lucy was his sister. The Lord has finally spoken to me. I have stated that wrong because the Lord has been speaking to me and had me under conviction. And I was simply putting it off and putting it off till it came to the point tonight where I couldn't stand it any longer. My heart ached, and I knew it was truly Jesus speaking to me. I hadn't been happy. I really mean happy, because I knew that I was under conviction. It was saying to myself, I'll wait till later. Last Friday, Shirley and one of her friends, we went to a camp meeting in Hughesville. Anybody know where Hughesville, Pennsylvania is? Oh, okay, yeah, I got some family there. That's the 570. That's where I'm from-ish in that area. Uh, so he goes with his friends to this camp meeting, uh, and they were surprised when they found out I was Lucy's brother. They just couldn't believe it. I don't know why he was so excited about that. But Mrs. Griven from Georgia gave the message, and it was wonderful. And when she gave the invitation, my heart said yes, and the devil said no, and the devil got the best of me. After the service, we looked at some books on the table, which they had for sale. And Earl came up to me and put his hand on my shoulder, asked how I was, and if I was saved. I hardly knew what to say. I was ashamed, and I told him I was. He asked me if I had counted the cost, and I hadn't. I wanted the Lord Jesus there, but the devil was too strong. Earl said he'd pray for me and asked me, um, asked me to pray too when I got home. When we left there, my heart was beating so fast I could hear it. I had rejected, and Jesus had me under conviction, and I knew it. This morning, I went to Sunday school and the Reverend Garcia's message uh, preached on Amos 3, 1 through 8. And the third verse said this, Can two walk together except they be agreed? And he had such a wonderful way of sending his message that I couldn't reject him any longer. And tonight I am born again. I am so glad because I know that the Lord Jesus is my personal Savior tonight and forever. He says in all caps, Tell everyone, two exclamation points, this is in 47, so punctuation was still important then. You know, you text and it's all caps and exclamation points. You're like, oh, this person's really excited at what they're saying. He was saying this in his letter too. I am truly happy now and praise the Lord for a wonderful Christian mother and sisters and future brother-in-laws. I praise God for a wonderful Savior. I will walk in the light and desire his will, not mine for my life. Hope to see you soon. I start back to work Wednesday, a new person. This is my grandfather's just a portion of his, his testimony, right? But his encounter with the Holy, yeah, praise the Lord. Look, God was speaking to my grandpa. God was speaking to Moses. And I really believe God wants to speak to you too. So let's move on from here and let's look at the journey. If I didn't tell you that part, that last note to fill in was the gift of knowing you are God's people, right? Okay, so here we go. Here's the closing part, the journey. The journey, Hebrews 11, verses 27 through 29. 
It says, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. So, let's talk about the Passover for just a moment, right? The Passover was the 10th plague that God would put on the land of Egypt when the Pharaoh would say, because Moses was going to the Pharaoh and saying, Pharaoh, by God's command, would you please let my people go? And Pharaoh kept saying time and time again, I do not believe in your God. I am saying no. I am Pharaoh. I have the power. But God was trying to display his power over and over and over again, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And so we come to this point of the Passover now. Moses uh, receives a message from God. This is the last one. God says, Moses, this is the last one. After this one, Pharaoh's going to let you go. God says to Moses to tell Pharaoh, if you do not let my people go this time, God is going to strike down the firstborn of every family who does not identify with him. God is going to strike down the firstborn of every family that does not identify with him. And so I grapple with this. I'm like, what in the world? So we just came from the front end of this story, which was the Pharaoh said, they're getting too big, kill the son of every family. And then we turn around to this part, and God is saying, I'm going to kill the firstborn of every one of these families if you do not identify with me. Now, I don't have the time or even personally, I think, the wisdom to unpack all of God's justice and grace in this scenario, other than to say I believe God is sovereign, I believe he is powerful, and he wants us to identify with him. And there is true judgment for those who do not identify with him. I believe that when you die, you'll either experience his eternal glory in heaven, or you will be condemned to hell because of sin in your life. And we all have sin, but we're freed by the blood of Jesus on the cross, amen? So we're looking to this story now at the Passover, and God says to Moses, tell, tell the people of God, if you identify with me, kill a lamb, perfect lamb. Kill a lamb that has no blemish, not a lamb with a limp leg, not one with one horn. Kill a lamb, I don't even know if lambs have horns, that's probably a goat. <laughs> Kill a lamb that's perfect, a really good looking one, the George Clooney of lambs, and then I want you to wipe its blood over the doorframe of your house, okay? And this will be the sign that you are my people, because when the angel of the Lord comes at night, I will strike down every firstborn from every family that does not identify with me. This is what God says. This is God's promise. This is God's command. We have Pharaoh's will, and we have God's will, and we have the true power of God and the true mercy of God all being displayed here. The people of God wipe the blood of the lamb over their doorframes of their house. God does what he said. He struck down the firstborn of every family that did not identify with him, and that came true. And those that wiped the blood of the lamb over their doorframes identified with God, and God showed grace and mercy to them. They were covered by the blood of the lamb. This is the destroyer of the firstborn being carried out here. This is the Passover. And we look a little bit ahead. I'm going to come back, but we look a little bit ahead, and the people of Israel from now on would remember this day. This would be a great day of remembrance, and they would celebrate the Passover. They would celebrate breaking bread and drinking of the cup, and they do this all the way up to even with Jesus, right? Jesus and the people of God, Jesus sitting around the table with the disciples, this is the Last Supper, and he says, from now on, 
We, re- we have remembered this bread and this cup as celebrating the time when we have experienced freedom as God's people from slavery, from under Pharaoh. But from now on, you will, you will take the bread and the cup and you will remember my body and my blood from now on. This is the new covenant in Christ, that Jesus would die on the cross for your sins, that he would take away the sins of the world on himself, and on the third day, he would be raised by the power of God And scripture says, whoever believes in him would also be raised, would also be made new, would be forgiven of their sins and given eternal life. Praise God, amen, right? So this came true, the Passover. So we see this this experience happen, and, and out of this, the Pharaoh says, okay, Moses, go. Get out of Egypt. You and your people are no longer my slaves. I don't want anything else to do with you. Take my riches. Take my cattle. Get out of my house. Get out of my land. And God leads his people through Moses. They are led by day and by night through a pillar of cloud, by a pillar of fire. And Moses is going to do a lot of courageous, bold things here. He's going to lead his people. He has stood up to the king of Egypt. His people endured the plagues and the Passover. And now they come to the Red Sea. And God, through Moses, parts the Red Sea. Man, God would then go on to meet Moses and give him the Ten Commandments. God would show his people God's power again through a crazy experience where Moses taps on a rock and God provides water and more, much more. Well, listen, Moses' encounter with the holy launched him into incredible experiences for he and God's people. It was his encounter with the holy. You see, Moses came from a generation of people where his parents and leaders, they testified to God. They took risks for God. Yeah, Moses got that. Moses then had the personal experience encountering the holy God. This is where things shift. When it was real for him, when it was personal for him, it was not his parents, it was not the midwives, it was his personal encounter with the holy God that changes his trajectory and sets him on mission to be a leader for God's people. This is our story too, connected to all these stories in this big faith series with the common theme of trusting God even in the unseen things, right? So you can jot these down in your fill-in. This is the gift of experiencing the holy and his mighty acts. The gift of experiencing the holy and his mighty acts. Big faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of the things unseen, as we see in verse 1 of chapter 11. So how are you experiencing God in your journey? Many people around you are experiencing holy God on different levels, and many people uh, from, script, from Scripture that we see have encountered our holy God. Uh, and I'm going to show you a, a short video here. This is a video recapping some of Moses' things that he did and would do that we didn't unpack today. And it's also going to unpack some of the things from other people here in this big faith series and the rest of, of Hebrews 11 and other people who have done great things for the glory of God and looking to Jesus and comparing them to Jesus and then launching us out of this space with the challenge to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. 